I think being able to create that level of variability so that we can really be meeting folks where they're at rather than saying, you have to be here on your journey in order to find success with us. That's really not actually speaking to our value. Hey everyone, and welcome to CNET Work, the podcast. It's the podcast where we highlight diversity, equity, and inclusion professionals and the work they're doing to help their fellow employees feel seen at work. My name is Natalia Eileen, and today I am so excited to bring to you a conversation I had with a fellow diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner, Lee Allborn. Lee is the diversity hiring specialist on the Bain & Company recruitment team, and they were so kind in giving us a ton of insight into how they and their team support the recruitment of LGBTQ plus talent. There were so many instances during this session where I thought, oh, I'm so excited that listeners will be able to get this insight into how to think about diversity recruitment, especially on this dimension. So without further ado, my conversation with Lee. All right. We have another podcast episode for you and another podcast guest. We are so excited and happy to have Lee Allborn here. Uh, They are the diversity hiring specialist on the Bain recruiting team. And Lee, thank you for being here. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a treat. I'm really happy to be here. No, no, thank you. So let's introduce you to our podcast audience, please. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your trajectory, what you're doing now, and then we can get into all of the incredible details of what we're here to talk about. Yeah, that sounds great. Happy to. Um, So I'm originally from Providence, Rhode Island, and I went to undergrad at Northwestern. And uh, that's where I studied theater and English. And I spent several years after I graduated working in children's theater in the Chicagoland area, uh, which was a, you know, a different amazing chapter of my life. Um, but in 2018, I started working at Bain & Company, which is a management consulting firm. And I originally had joined as a, a manager assistant, sort of executive assistant style position, but I got really involved in our queer affinity group really early on in my time at Bain. It had been my first corporate job that I'd ever had. Prior working in theater, I'd spent a lot of time you know, interacting and engaging with other queer folks. And so this was sort of my first opportunity in a corporate space. And I was like, oh, I'm actually going to sort of need additional support and community here than I was expecting. So I got um, super involved in our LGBTQ plus affinity group, which is called BeGlad. Um, and about after a year working at Bain in late 2019, I transitioned over into our Bain recruiting team and started in a role that's primarily focused on recruiting LGBTQ plus and veteran recruits. Um, that sort of transitioned into a broader sense of recruiting operations and diversity recruiting. And my current role is now really focused on our recruiting partnerships, where I help support all of our engagements um, with external companies that we work with to support our undergraduate recruiting. Thank you for giving us that comprehensive story and even some of the nuances of what you were describing with uh, going from theater to, you know, very corporate space where it became clear that um, having that community of LGBTQ plus folks was really important to you. So just helpful context for everyone to hear since we're digging into the nuances of your work in diversity recruitment and maybe digging even deeper into uh, specifically how you're pulling in queer folks for some of these opportunities that you have at Bain. So Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do and just give us a broad overview and we'll maybe dig in and learn more about the details. 
Yeah, no, happy to happy to share. So um, when we think about diversity recruiting, we're really thinking about integrating those efforts into our existing recruiting structure. So at Bain, we hire for a variety of different types of positions across folks that are undergraduates, folks that are getting their MBA. We also hire other folks who are other industry or experienced talent hires, um, as well as folks with other advanced degrees. And so we're talking about a variety of different folks um, who are coming from different professional backgrounds and educational experiences. And the effort part of our ongoing diversity, equity, inclusion efforts that we have at the company is really thinking about how we are, about how we do that. And I'm happy to chat about sort of the collaboration of how that looks with our affinity groups um, and that type of focus. But my particular role right now is really focused on these recruiting partnerships, which are thinking about the other external organizations that we partner with as part of bringing in more diverse talent. And so when we're talking about diversity in this case, what I mean is thinking about racial diversity, as well as thinking about gender, sexual orientation, thinking about folks who are veterans, and really sort of expanding that to think about a broader sense of what does diversity mean and how are we bringing in folks that would maybe fall outside of what other folks would say that is that traditional um, stereotype of what is consulting and who are the people that go into that industry. Thank you for that overview. And I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who have touched the recruitment function, especially quite a bit in the last couple of years as people have really focused in on diversity as a primary and top goal, uh, you know, with the research into the Black Lives Matter movement, for example, in 2020. I think that's something that came through a lot in the conversations that I've had. But one thing that I appreciate is not just your investment in the recruitment function and in the many pieces and parts of the funnel, but you'd also mentioned that there's a real importance in thinking about uh, what happens once people get there. And I appreciated that that's something that you also consider part of your job. Do you mind speaking a little bit to that? Totally. So it's um, it's such a great and important point when we think about recruiting, because what we don't want to be doing, what we don't want to be doing is like going out into the world and saying, you know, this is an opportunity. You could come work at Bain. Here's what this looks like. And then we don't we aren't setting folks up for success in the role. Um, and that means that, of course, like we don't want to hire folks that are not um, like uh, really interested in consulting or, or not interested in the way that Bain specifically sets up our consulting focus. But we also really want to make sure that when folks get here and they're going to be able to stay, they feel like they're going to be able to find success. And that can look like a bunch of different things, whether um, it means that folks are feeling supported in the mentorship structure that we have set up. It means people are getting to do the type of consulting work that they have an interest in. It means that they feel like they're building community within their office. Um, And I think that's one of the exciting things about, especially when I'm thinking about the sort of undergraduate population that we're recruiting for, we do certainly have folks who are interested in sort of using consulting as a launch pad for their career. Um, and they may go off and work in other industries. They may be interested in getting involved in the nonprofit sector. But we also want to make sure that um, folks who have an interest in like committing to a longer term career at Bain can really see themselves being able to move through um, the sort of uh, leadership setup and be able to have long term sustainable careers here. And so. Um, that's been like something that I think has been really important for us um, and thinking about how we think about recruiting is that we're not just sort of, uh, my role is very much focused on the kind of top of the funnel, but really when we're talking about all of these efforts, we're also thinking about retention um, and making sure that part of what we're staying connected to are our internal DEI teams and thinking about the company culture and level of support that we're building so that folks come and then they also want to stay and they also want to be promoters at the firm. 
Right. And I think what's interesting about that is thinking about retention as starting the moment someone gets to know your organization, right? It starts at the very top of the funnel. How do we even set up that sense of, uh, uh, I, I can see myself here, I, I can feel valued here, even at the very beginning. Is that fair to say? Totally. I think that's one of the things that's so important about thinking about how we are, what types of events that we're setting up when we think about a successful recruiting strategy, particularly when we're thinking about diversity recruiting or recruiting for our affinity groups that we have at Bain, we really want to make sure that we're striking that right balance of having representation of those folks be able to show up, whether they're going to speak on a panel and talk about their experiences, whether they're going to be running case workshops or having one-on-one coffee chats with folks Mm -hmm. that we want people to be able to be connecting with people at the firm who they see themselves in. They're like, oh, I, whether it's, um, you know, because, oh, we share identities or because I'm really interested in the work that you do, or you're at an office that I have interest in. That's something that's really important to us is making sure that throughout the entire recruiting process, we're really building in that level of personalization and connection with folks so that they can get that sense of saying, oh, I could see myself, you know, next year taking on this type of role or this upcoming summer, this is like the place that I want to be. Because I think that's very important when we're talking about um, the sort of like level of consulting firms here too and thinking about like in contrast with our competitors. That's the thing that's really standing out is uh, people want to know about what's the culture um, because a lot of the work can look very similar at different places. And so they really want to get a sense of, if I'm going to be working with this case team, you know, five days a week, and maybe we're going to be traveling together and uh, in the post-COVID world where that allows, um, I want to be able to like, you know, feel like these, this is the place that I want to land. And so that I think has been hugely helpful for us in thinking about our overall recruiting strategy is being able to leverage the folks that we currently have at the firm to be able to speak about their experiences as mm-hmm. part of facilitating that. That's awesome. Those are, you know, a good set of examples around how this works can be done. And I'd love to maybe dig into specifics around how you've been thinking about doing that kind of connecting and that kind of um, access to opportunities or access to resources specifically for your LGBTQ plus candidates that are coming through the door or that are at least thinking about coming through the door. Uh, What does that look like for that specific population? Totally. And such a good question. I think one of the things that I that I like to start with first when we're sort of thinking about what does it mean to do queer recruiting is to really start with um, before we kind of dive into being like what types of events we should run or what are the populations of people that we want to be focusing on is starting with an internal evaluation of where your company is at right now when they think about both what are our current recruiting practices and what is our current workplace culture. So I attended this talk several years ago um, where Carmen Morgan, who was um, she's the, as the executive director of this company called Art Equity, spoke and talked about um, the story where she was advising this arts organization boardroom, and they were talking about this desire to get more people of color on their board. And one of the very first questions that she asked them was, what are you doing to make your organization explicitly anti-racist? They didn't have an answer for her. And then she followed up by saying, why do you think that your board would be attracting people of color if you have not made this as a stated claim? Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought this was such a helpful like framing for me. And it's something that I've you know, really carried with me into the work that I've been doing for years now is this idea of why are you, um, how are, what are the ways in which your organization is 
creating an environment that is appealing for the queer community to want to work at, because that's going to be a huge element of your recruiting practice to start. So really thinking about, you know, what are the experiences like of queer folks who currently work at your firm? What are the stated values about how we want um, the queer community to be showing up and represented at work? Mm-hmm. Um, so I always think it's helpful to start there alongside thinking about an evaluation of your sort of past recruiting efforts. So that can look like um, reviewing any data that you may have about uh, LGBTQ plus hiring. Um, looking at trends, whether that's both in hiring, and as we've already talked about, sort of retention. And that can be either at an office level or regional level, or even by like looking at specific positions. And then also thinking about what barriers you may have had in the past. Um, So where there are specific areas where you maybe were under-resourced that you want to commit more focus on in your upcoming recruiting. And then one of the things that I think can be really helpful is for organizations to think about setting Uh, hiring aspirations. So really being able to clearly define what would success in queer recruiting look like for us. Um, And people can evaluate that differently. I've seen some folks talk about that saying we want to be in line with census data for our city or for our region. For other folks that's saying over this, you know, next five years, we want to grow our numbers by X, Y, and Z. Um, I think having a really clear sense of what success can look like for us can be really helpful in making sure that we're going back and are all of these efforts really coming down to help us like meet these goals. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the first piece um, is really thinking about that type of valuation. Mm-hmm. Then I would also say for organizations that are early on and sort of thinking about what does it mean to think about queer recruiting, really leveraging all of your external resources. So I talked some about the work that I do with our external partners um, Mm -hmm. at Bean, especially when we're thinking about recruiting for our North America offices. We have connected really closely with the Out for Undergrad LGBTQ plus annual conference, as well as Ramba, which Mm -hmm. is the similar sort of program on the MBA side. Mm -hmm. We've um, used, we've attended those conferences and sponsored them. And that's always been a great sort of channel and opportunity for us to connect with a variety of queer folks. We've also run a whole sort of series of queer events um, Mm -hmm. at each recruiting cycle. And what's great about those is that they can be open events that anybody can register for. Um, One of the questions that we ask folks early on when they have expressed an interest in recruiting at Bain is we ask them about if they have an interest in our affinity groups and if so, which ones? And so folks can say, oh, yes, I have an interest in learning more about Be Glad, your LGBTQ plus group. That's a great way for us to then be able to say, we're hosting this event, would you like to come? Or even you express an interest in Be Glad, can I get you connected to somebody you know, who currently has the position that you're recruiting for in an office of your interests, be able to have dialogue with them. Um, that's one of actually my favorite parts of my role is the opportunity to really connect and um, talk with the queer recruits who are interested in learning more about, aside from the kind of messaging that you may get in some of these larger presentations, I wanna talk one-on-one with another person and be able to either, you know, get my questions answered. But a lot of it is also just sort of um, like, I have a lot of assumptions about what it means to be queer in a corporate space. And it can be really helpful to have that conversation, really just that myth busting of, you know, Mm -hmm. some of those, you know, fears or concerns may be true and some of them may not be. And it can be really helpful to be able to speak to someone else who's already lived through that experience and could talk about that as well. So those are a couple and I'm happy to kind of dig in more too as well. Well, I appreciate you sharing those details and those specifics, especially around how you're leveraging the employee resource group um, that that can either be a source of individual one-on-one resources that people can tap into and chat with to get those kinds of details and to really feel individually supported. Or you also mentioned um, uh, 
pulling them in for certain events and things like that. Can you speak to any other ways that you are leveraging the employee resource groups? Because I can imagine some of our listeners trying to think about how to do a better job of this. And if they already have these groups forming or in formation, doing their thing, they can be a really helpful uh, complementary force. Is that fair to say? Totally fair to say. Yes, that's that's very true. I think that um, one of the things that I think is so important when we sort of start out doing this work is to be really thoughtful about honoring processes that allow for sustainability around this work. Because what's very quick, what could very quickly happen is that especially with organizations that are maybe not as far along in this work, maybe they only have a very small number of queer employees that they would be able to sort of leverage in this way to help support recruiting. It's very quickly that folks can get burned out from doing this work. And we don't want folks who are being asked to kind of participate or engage in recruiting in this way to feel tokenized. We don't want to be asking those folks to be doing a whole bunch of additional work that their peers aren't doing. So that's something that I think always kind of has to be at the forefront when we sort of are talking about those additional recruiting efforts is how are we making sure that we're coming up with processes that are sustainable, that allow folks to be able to really be excelling well and doing well at their jobs. When we go back to that piece around retention, like we really want, we don't want folks to be getting burned out by doing recruiting. And then that means that they're like falling behind in their work that is like the actual job that they're being evaluated for. So it's helpful for us early on to kind of get a sense of what folks' interests are. Some folks um, who have come into the uh, Bean and who I've worked with really closely over the past couple of years have a ton of energy around recruiting. And they just, they really love doing this work. They love getting to meet with recruits. They love case prepping folks. They love getting to chat with people. Mm -hmm. And we really want to like harness that energy and figure out like how to engage with those folks too. We also really want to be thoughtful about the representation of folks that we're engaging and showing up with too. So intersectionality is hugely important here. Mm -hmm. If I am interested in a firm and I want to talk about what it's like um, to be queer at that firm, and then I show up and I'm listening to a panel that is only featuring white cis gay men, that's a very specific experience under a much broader umbrella of potential identities that exist mm -hmm. within the queer community. And that really may not resonate with me depending on my mm -hmm. own background and identity. And so it's really important to make sure that the folks that we're engaging with are talking about a variety of different types of diversity, whether it's you know their identities, their lived experiences, the type of work that they do, etc. Um, and so, and, and then like I guess the last piece that I would say too is um, one of the things that's been really helpful for us is to make sure that we are keeping a really close connection between any kind of recruiting support that we're doing and then making sure that those folks are directly, directly tied back to their school and office recruiters. So what can sometimes happen is that, you know, folks will have these one-off connections, they'll meet and chat with people. Mm -hmm. And then there's sort of question about like, well, where's the feedback, right? Like, mm -hmm. how are we making sure that if we're going to go to one of these conferences and we're going to meet all of these recruits over, a, you know, a weekend where we are talking to hundreds of recruits at a career fair, how do we ensure that those recruits are then getting tapped into that same pipeline of recruiting so that they're getting invited to other events at the school that they attend and they're getting invited to the office events. We don't want to have, and I think that's why it's so important to really think about our diversity recruiting efforts is really embedded in broader recruiting rather than as like a, an additional thing that we're doing on the side, right. because otherwise we are not actually integrating in the way that we need to. We're not getting the feedback pushing through. And then it's sort of like we're trying to create a layered process on top of something else. Mm -hmm. And what we really want is to be able to see those recruits get into the pipeline, 
start building those like connections with folks outside of affinity groups as well. You know, mm-hmm. and that's another like easy thing that can fall into is um, recruiters will be like, oh, this person's queer. I'll have you talk to another queer person. Sometimes that can be really valuable and that's what people want. Other times people are like, actually, I just really want to talk to someone who's in the private equity practice so I can learn more about that. I don't need them to be queer, you know, I don't need to have every single mentor that I'm going to connect with at Bain also be part of the queer community. Um, And so that's also really helpful too, and goes back to that piece I was talking earlier about the personalization Um, and just sort of not like thinking about all of this in assumptions, but really about like, what do you particularly need? And for some Mm -hmm. folks, that's, I really need to talk to a queer person about their experiences at Bain. And for other folks, they may have a variety of other things. It would be a great way to kind of leverage and pull in ally support as well. Right. And I think that makes a ton of sense in terms of that initial uh, question that you ask at the very beginning, where I'm sure you're gathering information, not just about the affinity groups that they are most interested in, but also in the potential uh, offices or, you know, um, areas within the, the consulting firm that they can focus on. So I think that's a great point because sometimes, you know, there are assumptions made about how people want to be um supported and and made to feel included and while that could be a dimension of their experience for sure it could also be off-putting so I appreciate you acknowledging that and it also sounds like the employee resource group or the affinity group is a good resource for you as you're thinking about ensuring that you're not just tapping the same people over and over again because I imagine there are also allies in that group who are willing and interested and ready And I know even from experience that sometimes in the recruitment world, it can be really difficult to pull in people who are, you know, in the, in the roles, doing the work, who can really speak to that perspective. It can be really hard to find them and to bring them in. So that that sounds like a a great way to leverage those groups as well. It's funny because sometimes people think very narrowly about how affinity groups can support a community and they don't realize how powerful they can be on multiple dimensions, including recruitment. Absolutely. And I, that is, that's so true, Natalia. And I think that it's, um, it's, I'm glad, I'm glad that you like that you brought this up too. Um, because being like participating in recruiting is a standard part of every Bainey uh, experience. Like everyone who's a consultant Bainey is going to do some sort of recruiting support over the season in which they have been tasked with recruiting, whether again, it's on our undergraduate side or MBA side, or in you know, the other sort of talent pools that we work with. Um, And so everyone's going to be involved in this. And so part of what our job is as recruiters too, when we're thinking about making the assignments of you're going to go to this open house, you're going to run this case prep session, you're going to be in charge of these interviews on this day, um, is to make sure that we're creating, again, going back to that level of sustainability around you're coming up with a schedule that is like right for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also allows us to be able to be really, really thoughtful about who we're tapping for certain events. And that's why I mentioned this earlier about, you know, starting, this is like a similar idea that I talked about earlier about this idea of starting with knowing what does success look like for you and being able to identify that early on. When we're thinking about structuring uh, a series of you know recruiting events or a recruiting strategy that we're going to be going into for a given season. One of the things that's important for us to think about at the top are what are our goals. So if we're 
running a recruiting event is our primary goal for us to be sharing out information about Bain, uh, whether that's about our specific culture, whether it's about the industry work that we do, um, whether it's about a particular affinity group and talking more about that, mm-hmm. or is the primary goal of that interaction to be getting information about recruits and getting more info about what they're interested in, what offices they're interested in, mm-hmm. the types of connections that they want to continue making this fall. Those are going events that are going to be structured very differently. Um, and so once we have a sense of our goals, it's really helpful for us to be able to identify this is an event where it would actually be really valuable for us to be able to have an ally who can kind of step in and talk about their experience of what it means to show up for queer folks in the workplace in this way who's not part of the community. Or we could be able to say, mm, this is an event that is actually really going to be requiring someone to talk about their lived experience in this aspect. And so that's who we want to bring in. Um, I ran an event last summer that was organized uh, with another associate consultant um, in one of our Texas offices that was a specific event for undergraduate queer students about how to prepare your resume and cover letter for the upcoming recruiting cycle. And it was because we've been getting a lot of questions about folks saying, should I come out in my application? Like, should Mm -hmm. I identify myself as being queer as part of my application? Is that going to like make, make my application more successful? Is it going to hurt my application? Mm -hmm. And so those are like the type of questions we're like, okay, this is really important for us to be able to address and come up with a, you know, specific event that's going to be able to answer these like ongoing questions um, and really help to make people feel comfortable. And ultimately the answer there is like, Folks should do what they want to do. There's no there's no level in which anyone would ever be penalized or have their uh, application negatively impacted by that. But we also know that everyone's coming out journey is going to look really unique and we would never tell someone like you will have more success if you do come out in your application. We really want to be honoring folks where they're at right now. And we actually think about that more broadly when we're talking about our overall queer affinity group. We use, um, and you mentioned this um, before we started our recording, that this is a practice that Seen at Work also recommends, but we really think about the ability for queer folks to be able to affiliate at different levels of being out within the firm. So there are folks who've chosen to say, like, I'm comfortable being out more broadly at Bain, which means that I, you know, maybe would speak at Be Glad events that the rest of the office is invited to, or I would participate in recruiting in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have folks that are saying like, you know, I, I want that queer community, I want that connection at work, but I'm not comfortable being out to other folks. And so then they, you know, will choose to maybe only be out to other queer people at Bain. And that exists both in recruiting and during your time at the firm. And I think being able to create that level of variability so that we can really be meeting folks where they're at rather than saying you have to be here on your journey in order to find success with us, that's Mm -hmm. really not speaking to our values. So I think being able to have that flexibility and accommodation has been so important for us to be able to bring folks in and really allow them to feel comfortable enough. And we've also found that that oftentimes leads to more people coming out ultimately, you know, that once they've gotten a chance to establish and say like, yes, like I really want to be part of this community. I've been working at this firm for a while. I feel much more comfortable. I'm happy being out and I want to actually get involved in these recruiting efforts rather than like pushing people to do that before they're ready. Yeah. And I mean, what you're describing, it sounds like is, is affirmation and really allowing people to feel that in this space I can be more myself than maybe I even thought, which is such a beautiful thing that um, that that can lead to. I appreciate you tapping into that tiered system and into some of the complexity that comes along sometimes with 
with recruiting uh, this group and this wonderful community because it is a uniquely, you know, sensitive uh, thing to think about. And I'm sure there are people who have wanted to really dig into LGBTQ plus recruitment and have have been really eager to put in some uh, some real operational systems around how to do it well. And even just hearing the way that y'all are doing it and the way that it can be, again, affirming uh, in a very positive way can be, I'm sure, very exciting for some people to hear and learn. And so to that point, I wanted to move us into challenges because that could be a potential challenge, right? How do you navigate some of those sensitivities when you definitely never want to, and I just, I hear that sentiment from you and, and, and I personally uh, feel similarly, obviously, never want to force people or make people feel uncomfortable in any way. Um, and so I don't know if you have any more to say about that potential challenge as a recruiter or as a recruitment team, really trying to bring that population, um, you know, really trying to uplift it within the top of funnel context. Totally. I'm, I'm glad that you bring this up, Natalia, because it is, it is, there are definitely absolutely challenges that are connected to doing um, this work. I think, um, you know, you've cited a couple that are around sort of sensitivities, um, whether we're talking about like really truly in like a legal sense of not looking at folks' personal identifying information while they are actively in a recruiting process with us and how to navigate some of those challenges where we can still be reaching populations um, and doing that in a way that still is supportive of the, you know, structures and laws that are in place. Um, but also like for folks that are maybe very early on in their journey, and we've talked about this a little bit, but maybe don't have as many queer folks that are sort of part of their firm and are sort of experiencing some of those challenges of um, it's hard for us to really like leverage our affinity groups if uh, our version of affinity group is like one or two people too. Um, and so I think that what can be really helpful is to take, take a lot of these strategies and think about them to scale. You know, uh, Bain is a very large global company um, that has literally thousands of employees. And so our structure is going to look very different than if you're talking about a uh, organization that has one office and, you know, 15 total staff. So that strategy is going to look really different in the way that you're thinking about um, that kind of recruiting process. But I think that um, there's a lot of structures that people can use regardless of their sort of scale. And I talked a little bit about the opportunity to leverage external partnerships for folks that feel like, um, you know, sponsoring at that level might not be financially accessible for their organization right now. There's still opportunities to um, work with other organizations. So I like to think about... Um, thinking about like your on-campus recruiting and connecting with those student groups can be a great way to be um, really connecting and bringing folks into the firm. Um, and that doesn't necessarily require the same like level of sponsorship, but you can still be meeting folks on campus. You can be, um, you could set up an event. I, there's so much flexibility now that we're living in this, whatever era of COVID that we're in right now around virtual events too. Yeah. So there's really the ability to connect with more folks than we've seen before. And that I think has actually been hugely beneficial to us. It used to be that so much of our recruiting was really focused on, we would go to a specific campus, we would run events there. Um, you know, sometimes we would do these like larger webinars, but being able to have a lot of flexibility around that has really opened things up. Um, mm -hmm. So I think like being able to think creatively about some of that piece too. And something else that I think is also really helpful um, is really like doing that. And I talked a little bit about this sort of like, you know, learning more about what is our internal structure like with our company right now. Um, but there's sort of other opportunities to think about um, areas that might need some additional consideration for hiring. So one of the things that I think 
can be helpful for folks to think about reviewing your job descriptions. Um, do, your, do you have job descriptions that say require folks to have completed degrees? And if so, is there an equivalent version of professional experience that could be replaced so that it's not that someone actually needs to have X degree, but they just need to be able to demonstrate these skills in order to be successful in that work? Um, that goes back to the piece that we've been talking about, too, around making sure that we're making uh, all of our recruiting efforts feel more accessible. I think particularly when we're talking about consulting recruiting, um, especially for some of these diverse populations, there is sort of a level of demystifying um, that needs to come around. Like what, so what exactly is consulting and what does that mean? And, oh, if I don't, you know, if I didn't get an MBA or I don't have a background in econ or whatever it is, will I be successful? And the yeah. answer is yes. And so I think that that's also really helpful too for folks. And that can be true regardless of your industry of where you're hiring is to um, be thinking about ways to, be kind of helping to just, you know, remove some of those walls and barriers that have been in place in recruiting practices for such a long time in order to make it feel more accessible um, and really be able to demonstrate like, yeah, you you could you could do this job, you could belong here at this firm too. Um, when sometimes the like visual representation is like, oh, that is a culture that is or a company that is not for me. It is for you and we want you here. And we we need to think about how we can be even better at demonstrating that to folks. Yeah. I love that point about demystifying, and that obviously is um, something that's useful to do for any underrepresented population in any industry, and one that we see often in professional services and in consulting specifically as well, where um, historically maybe that underrepresentation has really made it difficult for people to see themselves there, but it's just so important that they that they do, or that they at least have um, that sense, like you said, that that yes, we want you here. And it's not this, you know, complicated, big, high thing that they can't do. Um, and just want to echo that we see that in multiple populations, for sure. I, I want to move us into advice. I feel like you have given us already so many different things to think about related to those challenges that we talked about, the unique challenges, the need to support candidates with their understanding of, of the industry, the need to really be sensitive to um, the intersectionality that exists across all of these dimensions and the representation that's required as a result of that intersectionality. Uh, we talked about um, the employee resource group and how to support or how to use that, leverage that to help yeah. support your candidates. We, I think, gave so much, but is there anything that you're like, oh, please take away this one piece of advice or, or two, you know, however many you want to share to our audience out there? Yeah, no, in such a good summary, um, too, to be able to sort of like talk throughout those pieces. Um, I think that something that we talk about a lot, um, sorry, I think I have two pieces. The first one is that something that we talk about a lot at work is that we use this expression of like being your authentic self at work. And this is a conversation that comes up all the time about how can we be creating a company culture where people can be their authentic selves at work. And as a person who came out as gender fluid while I was working at a corporate firm, um, that has been very interesting to navigate that idea of being my authentic self at work and certainly gets more complicated for folks who have questions about their personal safety when it comes to getting to be their really full authentic selves at work. Um, and I think that it kind of it ties into this piece that I think is really important, which is this idea that diversity recruiting is everyone's job. Um, and oftentimes what can happen when 
folks or organizations are thinking about embedding more DEI practices into the work that they're doing right now is that it kind of comes as a layering effect on top of what they're already doing. So this is our company as it exists right now, and we're going to just put these values and structures on top of it, and then things will just, this will exist now. And I think one of the things that's really important is to, for you know, individuals and organizations to really be challenging this idea of how can we be making sure that this work is actually embedded at the core of our values, that we're really coming back down to the foundation of how are we being able to set this up and then build from there. But that means that there are people at the firm like me, who's my job, where my role is, you know, certainly much more directly focused on diversity recruiting than other people. Um, mm -hmm. But it is part of everyone's job. And I think that especially being able to get that leadership buy-in is so, mm -hmm. so, so important. So folks can tell when they're being asked by their, you know, like direct line supervisors to do something. And they know that from the top down, that's not a message that's actually being like fully integrated and applied. Um, and so bringing that level of like when we're asking ourselves to be our authentic selves at work, we're also asking everyone, including leadership at your company and organization, to be thinking about that level of authenticity as well. Um, and so I think that that's like really crucial is for folks to be really thinking about um, all of this work as everyone's responsibility rather than something that we're sort of pushing off to certain folks to be able to execute and make happen. And then everything else will just stay the same as how it's always been. Um, and so there's like a level of learning and unlearning that is required from everybody in these positions um, in order to really realize, fully realize the potential of what it means to do this type of work. Yeah, thank you for reminding us all of that because it can be really easy to say, we want everyone to be their authentic selves, but it's actually very hard yeah. to, to do that well. And it requires everyone's effort. So thank you again, Lee, for being here with us today. We thoroughly enjoyed it. And thank you for sharing all of your nuggets of wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure. We appreciate it.